Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Awesome. Lord, we just thank you for your word, and we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd open our eyes to see wonderful things in it today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you please speak? Thank you, Taylor. That was awesome. And wasn't the uh, youth band amazing this morning, eh? So encouraging to see the fruit that we've seen through the youth. And I just want to really honour Sam and Lulu today for that, you know, and, and Sam Knox as well. Like, these guys are sowing into our youth and we're seeing the fruit. So thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. Ooh. This is not a picture of me. Uh, <laughs> But it is a picture of a child being bored. I grew up in the, the late 1900s. <laughs> and we used to have this thing called boredom. I don't know if people remember that. I have these memories as a child of being bored. So when we're going car trips, unless you're playing that game that gets a bit tiresome, the I spy, a lot of the time... You were just staring out the window, looking at sheep or cows or whatever was going past and asking your parents those questions. How far to the next time? Are we there yet? Can we have something to eat? I need to stop to go to the toilet. And you'd have these hours and hours in, a, in a, an air-conditioned car, which was a wind-down window. <laughs> we used to have this like, Ford Cortina and it had like, these like, vinyl seats. So in summer, it would like, be like boiling hot. Like, and you'd have shorts on, you'd go... <laughs> You burn the back of your, <laughs> back of your thighs. Um, or in winter, it'd be freezing cold. But these kids today just don't know how hard, the, you know, how hard it was, you know. You know. They're wearing the clothes of the 90s, but they haven't lived through the hard years. <laughs> so I say all that to say, <laughs> boredom was a, kind of a general part of our lives. Uh, we didn't have Wi-Fi until probably the late 90s, oh no, sorry, to the 2000s, and even, and, and even probably from about, to about 2007, we didn't have smartphones when the iPhone was introduced, and it you know, has dramatically changed the distractions and, that we have in our lives, because uh, I don't know about you, but I find when I'm at the supermarket waiting in line, or maybe I'm you know, picking up the kids from school and I'm sitting in the car, I instinctively want to pull my phone out because I don't want to be bored. The other stuff I do is I, I, I like to listen to the radio. Or, and this is another thing I do a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, like, I, find, I love information. I love learning stuff. Um, but what I'm finding is, is that it's, it, all that information, all that noise, it just fills up so much of our lives and takes us away from having time to spend with God and to be... You know, in his presence, and I, and I think we've lost the art of, of being bored, <laughs> because that's where creativity happens, that's where the, um, you get the divine sort of spark going on within you as, you as you're connecting with God. I was recently, uh, I haven't seen this movie yet, Oppenheimer, but I was, I was, I was reading about the director, um, Christopher Nolan, and uh, he's a bit of a Luddite, he, he doesn't um, have a smartphone, he has like a little flip phone that he occasionally uses. He doesn't have email. Uh, he just calls people and has a conversation if he needs to. And he has on his, on his um, laptop, he doesn't have Wi-Fi. So, he, so what, the reason he does this is because he says he doesn't want to be distracted 
from doing deep creative work. And I thought, wow, that's so profound. Like, that's in the sphere of a movie where, you know, he's bringing his creative talents to that. But I thought that's so applicable to our spiritual lives as well, right? Like, are we bringing all of ourselves to God? Are we allowing him to, to shape and, and use us in those moments? Or are we getting distracted all the time? There's a, a writer, Andrew Sullivan, who was writing in the New York Times just about technology and how much it's changed us. And he, he, said, he, he said about churches, he said, he said, I, I think the greatest challenge to churches is, is not hedonism. That's like the pursuit of pleasure, even though it is a challenge. He said, I think it's distraction. And he said, and he said, he said, and he see, he's talking about churches, and he says, you know, church leaders seem to think that, that, that the way to counter distraction is to give them people more distraction. <laughs> so we have a lot of events, and we have a lot of noise, and we have a lot of things going. And I'm, some of those things are good. I'm, I'm not about... Passion's great, and, and energy is awesome, and definitely if it's sincere and passionate, great. But you just wonder if sometimes we're missing something, and I think that thing is something that Jesus practiced, which is solitude. Blaise Pascal said this, all of humanity's problems stem from, and excuse the archaic language, man's ability to sit quietly in a room alone. Blaise Pascal was a mathematician uh, uh, and a Christian writer as well. Um, and I, and I, 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 I've dwelt on this quote a lot because it's, 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 it's really profound. And they, they even did a, um, uh, I read about this recent experiment where they, they got people to go sit in a room, I think it was for like about 15 minutes, and they said, you just got to do nothing. Just sit in the room for 15 minutes doing nothing. And um, what they found was that people, by and large, hated that. They hated that experience of sitting on their own in a room. And so people would cheat. They, I think they looked at their phones or they like, found things to do to distract themselves. And this is the worst bit about it, is they even had this option there that you could shock yourself if you wanted to. <laughs> and they found that... A, this is really disturbing about humanity, eh? They found that there was a, a reasonable amount of people actually shocked themselves while they were in the room to do something. Which speaks to this thing that people would rather be in pain or have some sort of distraction than be alone in their own thoughts. Because I think being alone in your own thoughts is quite a, it can be quite a terrifying place. So what is solitude? It's about creating the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ to build in us an inner sanctuary, like a home, where we can commune with God and unite with God's will and enjoy his presence. This is in John 15. Jesus says, you know, I want to, you know he wants to abide, you know, abide with me. And uh, the word um, in the Old English has that thing about abode, which is another word for home. Like Jesus is wanting to make a home in you, and he's wanting you to make a home in him. This is the desire of God's heart for us. And this is what, um, this is what solitude um, does for us. I think sometimes we read the word solitude, we think about loneliness. But solitude and loneliness are two different things. Yes, solitude generally involves a withdrawal, like going to be away often from people. Um, but, you know, you can be away from people and be lonely Loneliness is about a negative emotion that you, you feel sad that you're not with people, that you desire a relationship. But you can be away from people, and all the introverts in the room are like, yeah, come on, uh, and be at peace, right? Like, you can, 
because you're with, you know, especially with the Father, you're in solitude. And conversely, you can be lonely in a crowd, surrounded by people, right? I think this is experience people have even in churches. Sometimes they come into a crowd of people and they just feel lonely, um, even though there's lots of noise and activity all around them. And the same way with solitude, you can actually be around a whole lot of people, but have a, like an like a inner sanctuary within your heart of peace and God's presence that you're, you've got the solitude in your heart. It's like, oh, you're carrying something of God in you, even the noise and busyness of people around you. Now, um, today, uh, there's another aspect to this, which is, uh, is often, it often goes hand in hand with silence. Not always, but often. And that the two are kind of like pretty close together. So, Obviously, solitude is like the, the main one I'm talking about today, but I'm going to sort of let, you know, touch on silence as well. And like we said with this whole series, we're just doing one message for each thing. Over the next few years, we'd love to unpack these into greater detail. But a good definition of silence from Ruth Haley Barton is that silence deepens our experience of solitude because in silence, we choose to unplug not only from the constant stimulation of life and the company of others, but also from our own addiction to noise, words, and activity. I'll read that last bit again. But also from our addiction to noise, words, and activity. And, you know, this is what Jesus modeled to us. You know, a lot, a lot of what we're talking about here is about trying to be like Jesus and to, you know, be with, be with him, to learn from him and do what he did. Well, this is what Jesus did in, in his ministry. Um, at the very start of Jesus' ministry, he's baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And as, he, as he's, you know, it's like it's launched into his ministry. And it says that the Holy Spirit, like, kind of drove him or led him into the desert. And uh, when it talks about, like, this, the desolate place or the lonely place, um, it uses this Greek word called eremos. And it means an uncultivated, unpopulated place, a desolate, deserted area, a barren, solitary place that also provides needed quiet, freedom from disturbance. And I'll put a picture there of the desert road because I've never been to a desert, so in my mind when I read that, I see Jesus in the desert road or something. <laughs> Kaimanawa horses running around or something. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> One day maybe I'll go to a real desert and then I'll have that image in my mind. But yeah. It's, it's that idea of like kind of a, a desolate place, um, he's on his own. Now, I used to always think, and I've, this, I've talked about this with the fasting message I talked about before too, because he had this 40 days of fasting. But he has 40 days of, of solitude with the Father. And I used to think this was when Jesus was at his weakest. So when the devil came to, it says to tempt him, which a better translation is to test him, I thought, He's had, I, I kind of have this picture of this emaciated Jesus sort of lying on the ground, like wanting to eat, and oh, this is terrible. Um, but what I've been, you know, learning and reading about this more is that actually this was when he was at his strongest. So that, like that 40 days of fasting and that 40 days of solitude of being in communion with the Father, when the devil came to test him, he was able to just deal with that. Like amazingly, like he'd been at the CrossFit gym <laughs> with the father, and he was super strong. Like physically, he would have been weak. He was a, he was also a man as well as being God, but he was spiritually super strong, and so he was able to deal with that. And that's because he had been in this place of deep communion with the Father, and he he was able to deal with those three big um, tests that the devil came 
you know, there was one, you know, one was about being relevant, you know, turn this, you know, stones into bread, you know, one about being spectacular, you know, throw yourself down off, off, the, off the temple and, you know, be saved by the angels. And the third one, you know, bow down before me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Uh, of, you know, so he faced those three things of being relevant, of being spectacular and of being powerful. And he, and he met those because he came from that deep place of communion with the Father. It's such a massive part of Jesus' ministry that I think sometimes we just miss it, but it's all there throughout the Gospels. Um, here's just a few verses here. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning. So for all those morning quiet time people, yes. While it was still dark, <laughs> Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the whole night praying to God. Wow. And I don't think he was, I, I think he used words, but I think there was a lot of silence. I think there was a lot of just sitting in God's presence. Um, I think it was a, a real mixture of things, but it was a place of being in solitude with the Father. When morning came, and this is interesting, after that time with the Father, he makes the decision then to call his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated as apostles. Uh, Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. This is hearing about his cousin, John the Baptist, dying. When he, when he was in grief as well, he, he went and went to the Father. Hearing this, the crowds followed him. Jesus had distractions and people were after him, just like we do, on foot from the towns. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. That must have been like the, 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 what we've been talking about, the quiet place, the Aramos. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And then Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And then in Mark 14, 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. The night before his you know, he was going to be betrayed and then crucified, he went to that place, that place of Aramos, to be with the Father, to fill up on him. Why do we need it? Obviously, Jesus modeled this. And if you read through Scripture, this is how Moses uh, spent a lot of his life and got a lot of his direction and, from God, was with, by, by being alone with God. Um, and other Bible heroes, you know, Elijah, uh, Paul, you know, and Acts. We read Acts and it's like Paul gets saved and then he's just straight into ministry because it's a highlights package. Um, but if, when you're reading Galatians, he actually went away for three years to the Arabian Peninsula, and got taught by the Holy Spirit all these deep things. He went to a place of solitude. He went to a place of withdrawing to fill up, to then go do mission. But why do we, in 2023, need this so much? Ronald Rollheiser says this, It's not that we have anything against God, debt, and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we're habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than unspiritual, and more interested in the movie theatre, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life that they produce in us than we are in the church. This is Ron, not me, guys, because I know you guys love church. <laughs> Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. This is the eight, guys. And this is what we've been talking about a lot with these, this series and, and even over the last few years. Like, this is the distracted world that we live in. 
It's not just hedonism, it's distraction. It's the busyness of our lives. If Jesus needed this, how much more do we need this, right? The Son of God who was in communion with the Father, who would go spend that time there, if He needed this, how much more do you think we need this living in a day and age now with Wi-Fi, email, Twitter alerts, Facebook notifications, you know, everything that we have coming across our, our minds all day long, advertisements, how much more do we need this? And this is what Jesus taught his disciples, his apprentices. Mark 6, 30, 31. Just prior to this, they had done many things. He'd sent them out to go do, like, you know, great guys, you're ready to go. And he sent them out to go do a whole lot of mission. And they, they came back from that, and they were super excited. Like, they're telling Jesus, we did this. Oh, we can't believe it. We cast out demons, and it happened. And we healed this person, and it happened. Lord, can you believe this? They're, so they're full of adrenaline. They're excited. We also read prior to this that, that John the Baptist has died. You know, there's, there's a deep sorrow going on there. And we also hear about the, these massive crowds around. It says in verse 31, Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. That's a tragedy. <laughs> have you had a day like that at work? Especially if you're one of a hangry person like myself. You, you're so busy, you've got so much adrenaline going that you get to like five o'clock or whenever you're clocking off and you're just like, oh, I haven't eaten today. And then you just like, you know, pull up KFC or something, you know. <laughs> like you have so full of, of adrenaline and busyness. And, and some of these things are good. Like they're doing mission. Some of these things are good things. But there's something that Jesus noticed he, and he wanted to teach his disciples, his apprentices, these guys need to unplug like I unplug, and they need to plug into God, the source of life. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite them to come to this, this place, this quiet place with me, and learn from me so that they can put this into practice when, you know, when I send to the Father. And he says to them, it's a lovely, lovely invitation, a beautiful invitation from Jesus, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. When I read that, it reminds me of Matthew 11, you know, you know come unto me. You who are burdened and heavy laden, you know, and you will get rest. Like this is, this is the invitation of Jesus. Come to this place, this quiet place, and be filled up so that you can have life and life in abundance. Time and solitude gives us three things. Peace, identity, and transformation. First thing about peace, uh, this is a, a jar of, of river water. It's about the best picture I could find on the internet. It kind of looks like a jar of honey, but evidently it's a jar of water, river water, so use your imaginations. <laughs> um, I'm using this as a picture for an illustration from a lady called Ruth Haley Barton, who's a, a great writer around this whole area. She writes in her experience that she was, a, she was involved in ministry, um, she was very busy, um, and she got to a place of burnout and breakdown in her life where she was with her spiritual director and she was kind of just laying it all out <laughs> at the feet of Jesus, basically like, this is where I'm at. This is what I ache for. This is what I long for, my soul needs. And um, the spiritual director said to her this. Oh, whoops. 
She said, um, she said, you, um, you Ruth, uh, you are like a jar of river water all shaken up. What you need is to sit still long enough that the sediment can settle and become clear. I'll read that again. She said to her, Ruth, you are like a jar of river water all shaken up. What you need is to sit still long enough that the sediment can settle and the water can become clear. Many of us know this great commandment from God. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. In the Exodus, um, the Israelites were leaving they were about to be you know, captured by the Egyptians. They were by the Red Sea there. It looked like disaster. And there's this, this great promise from God. The Lord will fight for you. You, only, you need only to be still. And I think the first step with when we withdraw and we get alone with God, it's, it's, it's almost this, this realization that he is God and we're not. Because too often in our lives, we're trying to do the role of God. We're trying to make sure everything's working in our world. We're trying to make sure the bills are paid and the kids are looked after and that, that thing's done and I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with that. And that's tiring because we're, we're not God, that he is God. Be still and know that I am God. That's what God's saying to us. You don't have to be God. He is. And there's something incredibly humbling in that but something incredibly freeing right this is from basil pennington he said the fact is there's nothing that we're doing that god could not raise up a stone in the field to do for him that's sobering (laughs) and we know that from scripture you know jesus said if these people don't cry out you know i can make these stones cry out you know as he was coming into Jerusalem. The realization of this puts us in a true place. Though least we get too knocked down by such a realization of our insignificance, let me hasten to add that there's one thing that we alone can give God, and that is our personal love. No one else can give God our personal love. This is our great significance. And I think this is that moment with that being still and knowing that he's God is just freeing ourselves to, to, to surrender to God. It's not about performance. It's not about ticking the boxes. It's like, you are God, and I'm here in your presence. And I think that's the thing that solitude is so good, is that no one can see you. You know, like, there's no, you're not performing in front of anyone. It's just you and God. There's something so terrifying but so intimate about that and so freeing when you release and allow God to do that and all you can do is give him your love and and just let him move on you and just tell you who you are like it's it is is it's I find it the most terrifying but the most beautiful place in my life And it gives us identity. This is a scene from um, Genesis where Jacob, if you're familiar with the story, has spent his whole life kind of being a trickster, like being a Loki kind of character. 
He's been tricking his family, and he's finally coming back home. And he hears that his brother gets word that he's, he's near. And this is the brother who wanted to kill him, but he got away earlier when he was younger. And he's like, oh, oh no, he's going to kill me now. So, so what he does, because he's so brave, Jacob, he puts, his, um, he puts a whole lot of people in an advance party in front of him. <laughs> So they can be like cannon fodder, like, you know, for, the, for his brother kind of thing. Um, but then we read later on that he gets to this place, the Fort of Jabok. And he, it says in the scripture there that he's actually on his own. It's not even his wife and kids are there. He's sort of sent them on ahead. And he's just in this place of, of being alone. And he has this incredible encounter with this angel. And he wrestles with this angel and many people believe this angel was, it's, it's, a, it's called a theophany, where it's basically, they believe it's a moment where, where God kind of appears, in, especially in the Old Testament. And so this is actually a representation of him wrestling with God. And there's a very interesting scene there where the, where the angel says to him, what is your name? Now when he's saying that, he's not saying, you know, what is your name? And, and, and he replies, I'm Bob like we would in our culture kind of thing. Because in our culture, even though our names have meaning, we don't think about them in that way. We just think about them that, oh, Nick, or there's Sam, or there's someone else. When you, Your name had such significance then. So what your name was, was who you were, like your character. So what God is saying to Jacob in this moment, he's saying, what kind of person are you really? Like, who are you? What's your identity? And Jacob replies, you know, I'm Jacob, I, you know. And his name meant I am a manipulator, I am a supplanter. At this moment, this is where Jacob's healing begins. The effect of his healing is a scene immediately. In the next verse or two, we see that Jacob out in front of everybody, leading in front of all his people, going to meet Esau. This is what's going on in this here. That he's coming face to face with who he really is and allowing God to heal him and transform him. And that's the final um, sort of aspect of it I want to touch on this morning. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. This is Henry Nouwen. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Now, the false self is just another name for the sinful nature or the flesh. This is the part of us that's gone off code from our original creation because of the fall. And we, we, we wage against this in this lifetime. We, 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 we have wrestled with this during our lifetime. And the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. This is, this is where, you know, with solitude and silence, what we're, we're longing to do here is to be transformed into God's image, to become more like him, to, to lose the illusions of the false self and become our who we're meant to be, the true self, who God created you to be and, 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 how, and what you will be for all of eternity. That's what God's calling you into as you spend time. And that's why solitude is just so powerful because you're, you're getting before God and allowing him to go deep within you. There's no kind of... You're not just like busy yourself. Like, 
I, I, I noticed this in my own life. I, I, I did a retreat last week. I just went down to Foxton Beach. And I was just amazed at how much I kind of try and avoid that real deep place of just being completely vulnerable with God and not doing things because I'm, I'm, I want to do stuff. Um, even though I'm an introvert, I've got like that, um, got that like restlessness thing too. Like uh, I've always got like my legs always like kind of moving and stuff, like restless leg and, you know, like I'm tapping things and stuff. Like I, I, I sort of want to do things. I, I struggle to just be to be still before God and just let him talk to me or let him just be in his presence. He doesn't even have to say words. And I noticed on this, when I was there at Foxton Beach, I sort of had a whole series of things I was going to do, listen to this, and then I was going to write some stuff in my journal, and I was going to do all these things. And I sort of did all that, and that was good. There were some good aspects to that as well. But I, I just felt like this invitation from God where he was just like, just, just go and walk on the beach, Nick. Like, just leave everything in the car Turn the car off, or, you know, because you know, I had the radio on and all that, and then just, just, just walk down the beach, leave your phone in the car, and let's just have some time together. And I did that. I just, I just walked down the beach, did a couple of laps, and it was, it was so good. And do you know what I find when I, I get to that place of vulnerability, when I open myself up in that place of solitude and silence with God? You know, he actually doesn't say anything that's like, like kind of, massive big long speeches or or kind of oh here's a big blueprint for your life nick of everything that's going to happen in the next 20 years and make sure you put a good bet on the all blacks for the world cup (laughs) i wish he would but (laughs) he just tells me like real simple stuff and it's always about my identity i love you i'm for you i care about you i love your family you know i love church like he just he just says these beautiful things and and every time it just melts my heart just knowing who I am in him as his child and that he cares about me at that deep profound level not for anything that I do but for who I am like that I've been created to be it just moves me every time and that that's really what the goal is in this is it's just to be with God and to allow him to transform our lives but I guess as I finish, that's easier said than done. <laughs> How? I realize in this room there are people at lots of different stages of life that we all have different personalities. And uh, I've said this before, if you're, if you're an introvert, you're probably going to have to lean in a bit more into the old community side of things, the practice of community and relationships, because that's going to be your challenge. Um, and even for introverts with solitude and silence, you, a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, I'm all down for that. Um, but, you know, I, I suspect, you know, that, that sometimes that could just involve a lot of navel-gazing if you're an introvert, not being with God. Because to me, as an, I'm an introvert too, um, but my version of, of probably, if I was just left to my own devices to do this sometimes, it would probably be watching Test Match Cricket for a whole week uh, in my dressing gown with regular supplies of food and stuff. Now, that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> I still want to clear the deck for that at some stage, Amy. <laughs> Could ruin my marriage and everything, but uh, yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if you've experienced this. When you have a Netflix binge, there is a desire in you to, to switch off and to 
to, to, to do, like you just, the busyness of life, the responsibilities. I think that's what the deep desire of our heart is, is why we do these things. It's like, oh, I just want to switch. I just want to focus on something else like that. Just be entertained sort of thing. And it's, it's, it's pleasurable in a sense, but it doesn't satisfy. Like I never feel like super satisfied after a Netflix binge. It's enjoyable, yeah. It's great, totally. But I never feel super satisfied. And I always feel satisfied when I have these times of encounter with God. So I guess I say that to say that yeah, even as an introvert, you can fall into the trap of, of uh, just getting into a whole lot of navel-gazing or, or entertainment. Like, it's actually an intentionality thing about being with God. So know your personality, season of life, and stage of life. I was thinking about this, like some of us have the time that we could go down to the beach. Some of us have the time that we could even go maybe to a monastery or a retreat centre. And some of us are maybe busy mums and you don't even get five minutes every day. You're in the toilet and the kids are banging on the door. <laughs> Please, just let me have toilet. <laughs> but I was thinking about this, there are spaces in our life we can carve out. And I think one of the last ones that's left that technology hasn't robbed us yet of until they develop the technology to, to be on your phone in the shower is the shower. <laughs> Most of us have a shower every day, I hope, <laughs> or every second or third. Um, but when we're in the shower, think about it, you know, depending even if you have a short one or a long one, there's this period of time where you're not on your phone, um, you're completely vulnerable because you're naked, <laughs> and you're just there. And I don't know what you tend to think about or, you know, while you're in the shower. But there's a, there's a space where you could just, right at the start of your day, if you have a shower at the middle of the day or at the end of the day, you could just say, God, as this water's washing over me, I just, I, exp- I just know that your love is washing over me, that I'm receiving your peace right now, that as I go into this busy day and I've got that thing to deal with and that person to talk to and that thing, oh, God, I just give you those things. It says in First Peter, you know, Give your cares and anxieties to God because he cares for you. So in that moment, you just give it to him. You don't even have to use words. That's what, you, know, you can be in silence in the shower, just letting the hot water hit the back of your head and just give it to God. In your car, I've been doing this a bit more lately because I love to listen to the radio and stuff, but I'm just trying to cut out all that kingdom of noise that C.S. Lewis was talking about in Screw Tape Leathers. I, I just turn the radio off and I'm just in silence as I drive back from dropping the kids off or I'm going somewhere to see someone. There's a space where you could just give to God. It could be a few minutes, it could be 20 minutes, an hour, whoever, wherever you're going. There are spaces in our day that we can find for solitude and for silence to let God move in us. And I just say start small and build from there. Um, if you do a quiet time in the morning, that is fantastic. And I would just encourage you, maybe even to start your quiet time by having some quiet time. Start with a minute. Put your timer on your, on your watch or on your phone. Have a minute and then just sit before the presence of God and just say, here I am, God. Before you get into whatever your usual routine or rhythm is, just uh, start building this into your life. And you'll find that you will become a more non-anxious person. Because that's the goal, that we want to be non-anxious people, because that's what our society needs. We are an incredibly anxious society that's getting more and more anxious as we get more and more busy and more and more, um, more technology going on. We want to be the conduits of God's grace and peace in our workplaces and neighbourhoods and schools, and the way we do that is by being a non-anxious presence. 
that doesn't mean we don't have troubles or we don't have struggles or anything, but it just means that you're the person at the office that people are like, what's it about that person? Like, they're not f- freaking out every five seconds about something. Because I'm sure all of us can, can testify that you've been in a workplace or a situation with people who are, who are stressful, <laughs> right? <laughs> Most offices and places are full of stressed people. And that, that, what, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel stressed. But once if you're the opposite person, once if you're the person bringing the peace, bringing that calm in the storm, people are going to be like, what's it about that person? That's going to provoke a conversation, I believe. All right? And then lastly, I just want to say, yeah, think, think long term. We've called this series, um, you know, we're talking about rhythms of grace, unforced rhythms of grace. This is a thing of God's grace in our lives. Um, think about growth on the long term. Slowly work away at these things and let it become a normal part of your life. I thought the um, best way to finish today was why don't we have a time of silence? We, we do this as a church and this is, this is why we do this because we want to cultivate a practice of being silent before the Lord. And I just thought, why don't today, why don't we, we have like five minutes? I know that might seem like eternity. But we're just going to do that. We're going to put, you know, just receive the the Father's love, and then, yeah, we could see what Holy Spirit wants to do after that. But why don't we just start by being in His presence? Why don't we stand?